I'm going to ask that you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 13. And when you find that, I ask that you'll stand for the reading of God's Word. It's just one verse today. And, uh, you, know, I was, you know, sometimes it's fortunate, you know, my uh, pastor had asked me a little while ago to, to fill in. And then, so not this last week, the week before, my boss took vacation hours because uh, he's getting too many of them, so I had to work a lot more and cover his early morning hours. But you know what's really nice is, so at least from like 6.30 till 9, at least every single day, that I could have no radio on at work, and I can do one thing, and I can do my job, and I can meditate on God's Word. You, you, know, you understand that? You can work and do your job and meditate on God's Word. Because I almost thought, I'm like, these other employees, they probably think that I'm mad today because I'm not talking to anybody. And, and actually what I was doing is just really meditating on the portion of scripture that we're going to look here today. And, and I say that because uh, what we're going to get into today may not be what you always heard preached from, from, from this. And it doesn't mean it's wrong that you hear something maybe different or in even the application but as as I was sitting there I was thinking okay Lord this is what it means and but that makes no difference to me unless it makes a difference in my life and uh, so as I was thinking about that and uh, and I think the Lord um, has a message for us today and uh, but we need to be engaged in and to, and to hear it through and, and think it through and and if you just check out halfway through, you're going to be like, how did he get to that application? And it's not hard to get there, but you're going to have to listen also at, at the same time. So I'm going to ask that you just pay attention. So I'm going to read it once, and then we're going to read it together a second time. Okay, I'm going to read it once, and then I'll let you know when we're ready to start together. Okay, verse number 33 of Matthew. These are the kingdom parables. And in verse number 33... He says, another parable spake he unto them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole were leavened. All right, let's go ahead. We're going to read that through together. Just one verse today. Ready, begin. Another parable spake he unto them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal Till the whole was leavened. All right, may God bless in the reading of his word. And you can go ahead and, uh, and be seated. Well, I'm, I'm so, uh, so thankful for to study God's word, really, and, and the things that God's word has in there. And, and uh, I'm thankful that there's some portions of the scripture that you've got to just you can't just read it and just figure it out, you know. It's just like some things like for God so loved the world. I mean, it's there on the surface. And then there's some that you got to sit there and go, I should probably figure out what the Lord is talking about. And this was one of those portions of scripture for, for me in my, in my own life. Well, probably the vast majority of us that are here th this uh, today at some point or another, whether you yourself have done it or you, if you have kids, I'm pretty sure you have done it about a... I'm guessing there's probably a, almost a 100% rate that every one of us has seen some Disney movie at some point in, in their lives. I mean, some of you may be embarrassed that you watched that and you sat down and cried when Bambi's mom got shot, you know, I, and you may be embarrassed about that today, but we probably have all seen some, some Disney m movies. And, uh, and if I had to ask you, you could probably name a handful of those. And if you have any idea about Disney movies and some of the ones that are out there, I do would like to ask, ask you a question then. Uh, other than these movies being made by Disney, what do these characters or movies have in common with themselves? You have the character Cinderella. You have the character Mulan. You have the character Ariel. And you have the uh, character Aladdin. What do all four of those have in common? And you may say, that's a, that's a spectrum there. You've got, you got a variety. And then as I was reading and came across this, and I, and I agreed with this, it said, in each of these Disney movies, they all teach a central lesson. There's a doctrine basically being taught 
through those, these characters. And it's something that Disney repeats over and over again in, in, in a lot of different settings. But specifically, I'll mention these ones today. They all teach this lesson about being true to yourself about being true to yourself. In Cinderella, she, has, she sings about her dreams and they uh, basically will become true. She'll just believe in herself. You just be true to who you are and you will be, become, become that. You're not just some servant girl. You just but be true to yourself. There's uh, in Milan, if you're familiar with that, she uh, uh, believed in being true to herself and breaking the social and, uh, and cultural norms of that day. She was a girl that wasn't supposed to go out to battle and becomes a hero and all of that, but she was just being true to herself. Same thing could be uh, said also um, uh, about Ariel, who focuses on, on um, you know, being true to herself and her true identity to find herself in this world. It, it, she wants to be true to, true or, to herself. And even the same thing, uh, Aladdin, a, a boy in poverty. You just be true to the character of who you are. And, uh, and then, then uh, everything's going to turn out. And you see this played out over and over again in these. If you're just true to yourself, then your wishes and your dreams and everything's going to come true. And that there's going to be the, this happy ending. And if you look up being true to yourself uh, on, on, the, on the internet, and uh, it, it is a message that is being championed all over the place. It is, it is almost the battle cry of our generation is, is just be true to who you are. Lately, uh, my, uh, my Google Chrome updated, did its little update on there, and now it's giving me this AI information on there. And I don't know how I feel about that yet. But uh, so when I typed in about being true to itself, that Google piped in with their, their AI-generated meaning. And they said this. It said um, that uh, being true to self means thinking and acting in ways that align with your own values and feelings rather than the values of others. It can lead to independence, confidence, happiness, and a sense of fulfillment. In other words, the world is saying, embrace who you are and you're going to have a great life. If you would just embrace who you are, your dreams will come true. I would like to tell you today, that messaging is categorically false. Categorically false. Because that is not the message that God tells us from the Bible. God does not tell us to be true to ourselves. The Apostle Paul said these words, I know that in me dwells no good thing. And if I'm true to myself, if I'm true to who I am, I will just tell you this, there is no fairy tale ending if you're true to yourself. The fairy tale ending of an individual in their natural setting before God, if you are true to yourself, is eternal separation from God and in a, in a place called hell that was originally designed for the devil and his angels. That's what being true, true to yourself is. But yet, if we identify, not be true to ourselves, but identify and be true to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins, then you can have a great life. You can have a happy ending. It will be, in a sense, it will be that fairy tale ending. That when you die, if you're true to Christ and you know Christ, that when you die, you're in the presence of God forever, that you don't have to read about Jesus. You actually get to feel him and hold him and, be, and touch him like the Apostle John did. You will have a fairy tale ending. You will find fulfillment. You will find satisfaction in the work of Jesus Christ. Or in other words... If you want to know happiness and fulfillment and have confidence in this world, don't identify with yourself. You identify with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want, if you want fulfillment, if you want a happy ending, you identify with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, it tells us that it is the power of God unto salvation. It is powerful. But do you ever notice that it seems like the power of the gospel is not being seen and evidenced in the world around us? Now, the gospel has not changed. 
the gospel has the same amount of power as it did when Christ preached it as it does today. But you ever notice that things, I do, there's a lot out there that would indicate to me that the power of the gospel is, is not having this bearing and influence on people's lives. Look at all the people that are dis depressed and discouraged. Look at all the chemical addiction that you have out there. Look at all the broken homes. Look at the suicide rates. Look at the violence that's being perpetuated. Look at the immoral scene that's in front of us that's trying to tell us what is bad is actually good and what is good is actually bad. And you look at all of the, all these evidences out there and you say the power of the gospel, where is that at? And I would almost want to say, and not almost want to say, I would say today that the power of the gospel is not just something that's lacking in many people's lives outside of the church building and outside of those who, uh, outside of those who don't name the name of Christ, but the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is something that even in the lives of believers and, and many people's lives and even in my own life, can become where we don't experience that power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is not just for you to be saved at a moment, but it's to be a lifetime. That the power of the gospel is something that you experience, but many times we are depressed and we're discouraged. We fret, we stress, and we have all these problems in our lives, and the power of the gospel was never meant to do that in our lives. And so it makes me come to the point then, as I was thinking about this, is, why is that then? Why is not the gospel of Jesus Christ having the power and impact in our world and society and even in the lives of believers, why is that not transpiring and taking place? What, 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 what elements, what things would be involved in that? And then I come to the parable of the hid leaven. And you may say, you just jumped. You just took a massive leap to go from the power of the gospel and its lack of power being witness and evidence and to the parable of the leaven. But as you're going to see, the meaning is really not hidden. And the secret why the power of the gospel is not being, being evidenced in the way that we would think. It is because of the influence and the working of leaven. And that's what I want you to see today. And it requires us just to think this thing through and to apply it. So when we look at the parable of the leaven, see, many times it's viewed in a positive sense. Because sometimes, you know, when you're reading something and you just read what you, wait, that sounds really good. And then many times you don't want to read what goes all along afterwards. You, you ever done that? You like get some good news, get a good letter, and you don't even know what the rest of the letter read. You only read the one sentence that applied to you and you're like, man, that's amazing. And that's what happened to the parable of the, of the leaven is because people read this and they'll read the kingdom of heaven is, is like leaven. And then there's a comma and there's other things to follow. But who cares what follows after the comma? We just want to focus on, on leaven. And when I read a parable like this, I, I'm automatically thinking something good. I, I don't know about you, but I like warm baked bread. Oh, man. I mean, if, if, you can get that, if you can get that stuff right out of the oven and you get some butter on it, I mean, but you can't have like a, like a thin piece of bread. I mean, I mean you're, it's just sinful if you cut only like a quarter of an inch or something. It's got to be a good inch, inch or, or, or more. And you layer it with butter and it's like running all over your face and you're just eating, eating that. Man, I, I, I just, I love fresh bread like that. And I look at this parable and I'm like, that sounds pretty good. They're having, they're having, they're having fresh bread. And so many times what you read about this parable is they're like, you see, bread's good. Everyone likes warm, tasty bread. This is a wonderful parable. And so they'll teach something like this. So the leaven represents the gospel, represents the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, it has small beginnings and it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, from the time that Christ began and the, where we're at now, more people have gotten saved and have believed in the gospel, and it has grown. But there's some real big problems with this interpretation. See, one of the problems is this, is the leaven, as you read in here, infuses throughout this whole lump of meal and it influences it in, 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 in such a mighty 
and powerful way. That, that it basically, that, that it, it is just overwhelming and, and, and taking over everything. And let me ask you this. Is that really what's happening with the gospel of Jesus Christ right now? That our society is becoming better and more infused with the gospel? I would say not. You know, it reminds me more of like if you've ever overproofed bread before and you take it out and you try to bake it and it just goes, just goes flat. We're more into going flat than we are growing. But there's another thing that's really big for me that says, that can't be it. Do you notice this, that it says that in this parable, that this woman, she hid this leaven in, in, in here. And I, I, and, I, and I just came across this. I thought, this is great. You know, the Greek word for hid is encrypto. It's the same word we get the word encrypted from. We just saw in Kelloland News, if you're watching, the police department just and got, uh, both here in Rapid City, got new radios. And it's meant to uh, encrypted radios so that they could have secure communication so other people can't listen to the outside or to protect witnesses and stuff trying to hide their communications from others that would be spying on it. Can I tell you this? God never intended the gospel to be encrypted. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. We are not in the encrypted business of the gospel, all right? You may have an encrypted business lifestyle, but that's not how it's meant to be. The, the gospel is meant to be shouted from the housetops and from the rooftops and compel them to come in and out. It is not to be hid. It's not to be, be some private matter. It, it, it is to be public. So when I start looking at that, I'm like, so there goes about 80% of what I read concerning this parable because it clearly means something that's not what a lot of other people are teaching about this. Maybe sincerely, but you could be sincerely wrong in your interpretation. And so then we got to ask ourselves, what then? We got to basically go back to the, the square one. We got to go back to its foundation. What are we looking at with this? So the meaning of the parable uh, is can be determined easily by considering the different uh, the different parts of this. See, I found it interesting, and probably my the Sunday school class I teach, they're probably like, "Oh, great, he's going to go into Leviticus." It takes him like seven weeks just to go through one chapter in the Bible. Yeah, I know, I know. We're not going to do that fully, do you? All right, but so when you look at this, you have to come from this parable, not from where you sit. But if you were one of Jesus' disciples, because that's who he's teaching him, and they were also Jewish also. So you have to have a Jewish mindset, and you have, have to, I have to come from that point of view. They're going to hear the word meal. And as soon as they hear the word meal, you know what they're going to, they're not thinking about bread that they're baking at home. They are thinking about the meat offering that was given in the Old Testament. The meat offering was that offering which was made by meal or flour, because that's what it's dealing with, meal or, or flour. And, uh, and it could be made into different kind of cakes, breads, fried. I mean, you could make all sorts of stuff, stuff with it. So when, when he starts talking about meal and, and flour, they're automatically going to be, be thinking of, about that. And so when we're dealing with the meal then, and when we know this about meal, bread is considered, you hear that saying the, 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 that bread is a main staple. It's like threaten your kids, I'm just going to feed you with bread and water, just enough to, what, keep you alive. Bread is a, a, a natural, is a natural thing that we have food that gives, gives us substance. We see that, uh, the greatest example is the manna in the wilderness, that God gave a man in the wilderness. He gave them bread for 40 years. Why? Not just because he, had, he liked to throw confetti six days out of the week. It's because he's actually giving them something to eat. He's giving them bread that they could make, that they could, they could survive from that. In other words, the meat offering or the, or the food offering was looking at the life-saining power of God that God is the giver and the sustainer of life. 
And as we saw, and if you're in our Sunday school class, we understand that all these offerings are a picture and a shadow of the work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ in John chapter number 6 makes it very clear that you ate manna from heaven, but the true bread which comes down from heaven, it, I am that true bread, that whosoever believeth in, in me shall, shall live. As a matter of fact, the exact words of Christ in that are this. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. The meal offering and the, and the flour that was offered into it pointed to the sinless life of Christ who gave himself for us so that we could be in relationship with God, that we could have fellowship with God, because you couldn't just offer any flour. It was fine flour sifted because it meant the sinless life of Christ. He lived a life you and I could not live, so therefore we can have eternal life with God by faith through him. So there's a lot more to this meal than just flour on a table or flour in a cabinet. We are dealing then with, we are dealing with this work of, work, work of Jesus Christ. We are. We're going to piece this all together and you're going to see it even more clearly. Because you may say, yeah, I think you're still stretching it. Meal offering, meal in this. They might be sharing those names, but I don't think, I don't think it's right. Except for one major, major thing I literally left out. It's the leaven. Because in the meal offering... God had different ways you could offer the flour. And it could be you had oil with it, maybe, and you had to have oil and salt with it. Had to have those two things. There's two things you couldn't put with it. You couldn't put honey with it, and you couldn't add leaven to it. You could not add leaven to it because that would become an unacceptable sacrifice before God. Well, why would God not want to have leaven? What would God's big deal be uh, about leaven? The big deal about leaven is this. Leaven causes fermentation. Fermentation causes a corruption of the substance that it's infused into. It feeds off of whatever it's sown into. If you feed leaven into the meal, it's going to consume the meal that is in there. It will produce gases because of the decay and corruption that is going along with it. Leaven is not normally used in a positive sense in the Bible. There's only a couple outliers, and if you understand even the outliers, you would understand that leaven is not a good symbol in the Bible. That leaven is something, is a corrupting element that, we, that, um, that God points out to as being evil, wrong. Paul would write, therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but the unleavened bread of sincerity of truth. So in other words, by God's own word, then leaven is associated with wickedness and it's evil. Okay, you may say, well, is that what the Lord meant? Is that where the Lord's mindset would have been? Well, yeah, because Jesus one time had a conversation with his disciples and uh, Andy, he, he, said, um, he said unto them, um, let us... Um, Take heed and beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they thought to themselves, well, what's he talking about? Is he upset we, we didn't go to the store and buy bread? That's where their thinking was. Well, is it because we don't have any bread? And I, Jesus, I think if, he was, if I was him, he probably said, you knotheads, that's not what I'm talking about. Because <laughs> he said this. He said, um, uh, then understood how they, that he bid them not, uh, beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So do you hear this? Evil corruption and doctrine in the meal. Do you see? We're, we're not dealing with something good. We're dealing with meal that's supposed to have no leaven, no corrupting influence. And the Bible says that corrupting influence is that which is evil and it's marked by doctrine or teaching. There's other portions of scripture, but for sake of application time tonight, we're not going to go there. But understand this, leaven is that which is evil and it's also used as dealing with false teaching and corruption that, that takes place. And then you look at the woman that's 
sowing the leaven. It fits in. See, in context means everything. Jesus has given other parables before this. Each one of them has a negative element to it. The parable of the sower has these birds that come in and steal seed. The, Jesus said that represents the devil. He's snatching, he's snatching the word of God away. Then you have the parable of the wheat and tares. That there is someone hidden in the night, goes and sows wheat or tares, weeds amongst the wheat. They grow up together. And then you had the parable of the, of the mustard seed. The mustard seed uh, mutates in this huge tree that it's never meant to be. And then the result of it is all the birds of the air come into the branches. And if the birds mean what they did in the first parable, it means this. Then the devil is doing his work through those branches and doing his work in there. And so in its context then, this woman is continuing this thought and theme that Jesus said. There is an opposition and a work against the very kingdom that I brought. That Jesus said, I, in the verse one, he says, the seed is the word of God. In other places, it's the gospel of the kingdom. It's the message of Christ. It's the message of his finished work. It's the message of a sinless life. And Jesus is saying this, that in this parable, during this mysterious time, it's no mystery that the kingdom would grow. But what's mystery, the mystery about it is this, by the, until Christ comes, there will be an increase in corruption and influence on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see where the thinking has to come through? I, I, I believe, I, I lay this out for you so plainly for the fact that if you leave here, you, you can say, well, I don't know if I agree with that. But your disagreement won't be with me, it'll be with what the Bible lays, lays out for us. And so what we have then in this message and what Christ is trying to tell us is this, that we better beware of, we better beware that the gospel of the kingdom is going to be corrupted. That's what Jesus is telling his, 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 uh, his uh, disciples, that the, the gospel that I have delivered unto you in its purest and simplest form is going to be corrupted. Now that's alarming. You see, that's, that's like shock value there. Because if you're one of his disciples, I mean, you're probably thinking, I'm going to take the whole world on. This is going to be awesome. We're going to turn this world upside down in a sense they did. But by and large, if you look at the whole thing and what Christ is teaching, you may have some great successes, but the gospel is going to become corrupted. It's going to be, it will be this corrupted that you said when he returns, shall I even find faith here on earth? Now that sounds like full-on infusion, of uh, uh, full-on infusion of leaven. It shouldn't come as a surprise to us. You know what Paul wrote these words? I marvel not that ye are so soon removed from him that called you under grace unto another gospel. Paul preached that even in his own days to the, to the, to the church in Galatia. I can't believe you're already called unto another gospel. I just held a tent meeting with you guys. And we just got the church started. You just signed the charter. I mean, everything's going good. And now I get this report. You're already embracing another gospel. In other words, there's leaven within your ranks. Paul would also write these words. He said, For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus... Whom we have not preached. Or if you have received another spirit which you have not received. Or another gospel which you have not accepted. You might well bear with them. In other words, Christ said, you better beware. There will become those that will come in the name of Jesus Christ. That will have another Jesus. And they will have another gospel. Now that to me is alarming. Because it's not going to be like, oh, they got this big sign on them that says, Hi, I'm a corrupted gospel. Well, I'm going to stay away from you, Buster. I don't want to have anything to do with you. But they won't. They might look just, well, I hope they don't look as bad as me, but they might, they, they, they might, they might have a suit and tie. They might get up here in front of you. They might have a, a, a large audience. And they may say things that are 90% right or 92% right. But it's that little bit of leaven is what is harming the work and the power of the gospel to do what it was meant to do. 
that little bit of error. I found this quote from uh, a commentator named John Phillips. And he said, in the parable of the leaven, the, the woman clandestinely introduced her corrupting doctrines in the pure meal of Christ's teaching. Then she sat back and watched it go to work. No one protested. People took no notice of what was happening. Besides the uh, popular thought was that leaven was a good thing to have in a loaf. Likewise, the corrupting doctrines that have subtly taken over Christendom were introduced almost unnoticed and many innovative but evil ideas have been proper, popularly, I can't say it, accepted as improvements. Do you hear what he's saying? That there are a bunch of churches then start accepting these things. We're just making subtle changes and for the betterment of all. And that's what John Phillips is talking about and that nobody notices. I mean, who doesn't like bread? Who doesn't like warm bread? I mean, we could build ourselves a healthy loaf of bread here. We're just going to change just a little bit or we will change how we present the gospel or how we show Jesus how we show Jesus Christ I, I looked up on the again studying and looking up and uh, I just I just typed in another gospel I just typed in another gospel and man the other these articles out there I mean just all these things that are out there. I mean, just look, listen to some of these examples. There's the good people gospel, which says that basically everybody's good. They're all good people. So you just come in and, and uh, you can come to our service. Everyone's good. There's a self-esteem gospel. The self-esteem gospel that basically is basically self-motivation. Hey, you, you can do it. You can overcome this, whatever obstacle. Uh, I've, I've heard some of those messages and stuff, and it seems more like a, I'm ready to go out there and sell vacuums than I am to walk through the fires with Christ. There are those that expressive, individual, expressive individualism. In other words, just trust yourself. Follow your heart. It's the optional Jesus, which says that Jesus is not just the way to God, that you can experience God through multiple other ways or multiple other experiences. If you have these experiences, then you can, you can experience God. There is the prosperity gospel, which promises you health, health and happiness and, uh, and all of that that goes with it, a trouble-free life. There is the the faith and crowd, the faith and crowd says that faith and something else is sufficient to save me. Faith and works, faith and self-loathing, faith and right understanding with God. There's the gospel of permissive grace, which has the idea that God is so loving that he unconditionally accepts you who you are, regardless of, and you don't have to change. That's permissive grace. That God's so gracious that you can just come to him as, as you are and you can come to him as you are. But also at the same time, he, there, he expects a change also. There is a gospel of social justice, focusing on doing good to your fellow man. The gospel of the new age spirituality, which focuses on experience over sound Bible doctrine. And I could go on and on and on and on and on. Because I, I only went through like five or six web pages. And I'm just like, well, this person says this and this person says this. What I what it came down to me is is this is there are a whole mess of different Jesuses out there, and you know what? That's confusing, and God is not the author of confusion. That's why Jesus has this parable. He said, "You better beware. You better be on your guard." Because this isn't, well, I, I mean, I, I don't really understand the gospel. Is it a big deal? Yes, it is a very big deal. Because if you're wrong in the gospel, you're wrong with God, and you'll be wrong forever. And if you're saved, if you're wrong on the gospel, you are not experiencing the fullness of the life that God wants you to experience through salvation in Christ. That, that you're all right, the devil's all right with you being saved and sitting there and being a powerless uh, individual as a believer doing nothing he's content with you showing up to every single service and having no fruit no impact no influence in your life he's all right with that he gets you to believe another gospel he's all right with that and so when it when it comes to this and uh as time really moves forward and from the time that christ spoke here i'm just telling you that it's going to get more corrupting and more and confusing. 
we're 2,000 years removed plus from the cross. It's just going to get worse. The deceptions are going to get, I'm just telling you, I think the deceptions are going to be way worse. Because you can use a mask, a mask to use the internet to self-propagate yourself and propagate false gospels. And you can reach a, a million followers pretty much like that. You can remain anonymous behind some computer screen. This guy's writing this great article, and you don't know that he's not out in his garage doing some wicked, immoral thing. You have no idea. And as we move further away from the cross, and that the, it's going to get worse till Christ comes, if you, believe, if you believe what he's saying. So then I thought to myself, so this is where my deep thinking at work was. So if I was one of Jesus' disciples, I was just trying to picture myself. I'm one of his disciples, and they're getting it. You know, they're understanding what Jesus is saying. Like, oh, man, this is bad. And I could just imagine, like, a group of guys that are, like, on a sports team or something like that. Just one of them, maybe Peter or something, just gets up and says, I'm not going to stand for that. I'm, I'm not going to do that. If we're, if we're going to be a care, I am going to be true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you can see another guy getting over here. and Maybe John gets up and says, I'm with you, Peter, on that one. I'm going to be true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And before you have it all, all together, they're all putting their arms together. And they're like, put me in, coach. And they're yelling and they're cheering and running off. I mean, that's my thinking. You know, they're thinking, if it's going to be that bad, I'm just going to tell you this, if I was there and he's telling me it's going to be that bad, it's going to become that corrupted, then I'm going to be true. If it's going to get that bad, I'm going to make sure I hold to that which is true, then be influenced by that which is false. You see, Paul had that message that we are to stay true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Matthew, or in 1 Corinthians 15, they had a problem going on with the gospel. In chapter number 15, it's a resurrection chapter. Some people were doubting the resurrection from the dead. And Paul wrote to them, he said, I wrote unto you, I taught you how to be saved, that you, I taught you the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say these words, keep in mind. Those same words are translated hold fast in the, in, the, in the Bible. In other words, Paul was telling him, believers, that this gospel I preached unto you, you hold it fast. Regardless if someone comes teaching you another gospel, that you need to hold fast to this. You need to hold on. You need to fight for this. You need to, be, you need to stand for this. Kind of reminds me lately what I watched. Um, been watching the Israel uh, Hamas war. And October 7th is when Hamas did all those horrible atrocities to the Is Israelites. But one story I found was amazing. So near, the, um, near where the fences and stuff is, they had one of their military outposts there. And uh, the military outposts, basically, they designed it in such a way there's a strong point that was the main like, entrance into there. That was the strong point that they were really defending. Well, in the defense of this, the commander of this group that was defending this uh, outpost was killed. And then another soldier, lower rank, he was basically the next man up. And he had to take over. And so here they held this gate as long as possible. But eventually Hamas was able to, either they breached the front gate or broke through the back. And basically he was losing soldiers and eventually he was down into the one building in, in this whole thing. And here he was in this building holding out against over 40 Hamas terrorists that were trying to get him. And he waited an hour. Nobody came. A couple hours. Nobody came. He waited all night long. The Israelis' special forces were being spread thin. And so they sent basically a, a group of about, I think, five soldiers is all that they could manage. They sent them, and these five soldiers came into the compound there in the morning and eliminated all the Hamas terrorists. And then they, that one soldier was still left standing in the building. You know what that pictures to me? That kind of standing and hold fast that we are being, uh, the gospel is being assaulted 
by Hamas terrorists. We are being assaulted by influences of evil that are trying to corrupt the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's time we take a stand for it. That we stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when I'm looking, when I'm looking, I was thinking about this message and and I was, I was just so thankful we had the Winklers here tonight that here's a missionary that's being supported to do that very thing, to take a stand for the gospel. And if we're going to stay true to the gospel, it means that we're going to continue to preach and proclaim the message of the cross. I, I, I mean, I'm, I, I told the pastor when I was telling him about this message, I said, I'm not the pastor of the church, but I think I can speak for him when I say, we are all about the simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're striving for. All of our songs, if you listen today, we're dealing with this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and I feel it's the greatest opportunity to be here on a Sunday morning to tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ that looks at us, we who are lost, condemned sinners, not because we did something wrong, but because we are wrong with God. Because we've all sinned. There's none that seeketh after. There's none that understandeth. We are all gone astray. All we like she have gone astray that's where we find ourselves at we find ourselves at an impasse with God because our sins separate us from God and unless a payment is made unless that is resolved then there we shall stand and there we shall have to pay the consequences for our own sins but thankfully thankfully God in the dueness of time sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh that in the likeness of sinful flesh he became obedient under the cross. That he said, I will then take all the penalty and the consequences for your sin. That in other words, the debt that is owed to God, I am willing to pay that for you if you'll put your full weight and trust in me. And if you will come to him today and say, you know what, I've been trying to be true to myself. I've been trying to live my own life. And I don't seem like I have that fulfillment. I don't seem to know what you're talking about. I don't seem to know how I can even praise God like you were singing in song today. And I will tell you this, the gospel says that if you will come to Christ as you are, kneel before him in humility and cry out to him and say, God, I am, I'm a sinner. Be merciful to me and forgive me. There's a God that will do that for you today. You see, there's so many corrupted gospels out there that say, well, if I, if I go through my ritual, if I go through my tradition, this is what we do where we we're at, church. That's not quite what I've heard, heard where we're at. But we're not necessarily trying to be, we're not trying to disregard your experience as much as we're trying to elevate the truth of what the Bible teaches. Amen. You see, I don't disregard experiences because God used past experiences in my life to bring me into a saving relationship with Christ. I wouldn't know where I'd be without some of those past experiences. But those past experiences brought me to a point that says, if there is a God, he must be real. And how do I know this God that's real? And then the gospel was given to me. And I said, now I know who this God is. I know he's real. He's not a storybook character. I can feel his presence in my life and know his working. But all those experiences in the past brought me to that point. You see, false gospels out there. Believing that, that God doesn't care, I can just live any old way I want and embrace the gospel of Christ. That is not the message of Christ. When he, when, when he met Matthew on the road there as a tax collector, he didn't say, Matthew, stay collecting taxes and follow me. He just said, Matthew, follow me. And Matthew said, I quit. Here's my two-second notice. I am done. I throw what I was and I throw myself under Christ. Is that not true? But did not Zacchaeus do the same thing? He said, I'm tired of the tax business too. I will not only follow him, but I'll give 400, I'll give, I'll give basically 400% more than I'm supposed to. Because that was a legal law. And he did that. You see this gospel that says you don't need to change. The gospel that says, well, I, my experiences. It's not experiences. It's truth. Truth doesn't have to have experiences. Truth remains truth. You don't, I don't have to be shot to know that it hurts. You know what I mean? That truth is always going to be there. It's not based on experience. It's just a fact. I'm just telling you, 
the gospel is the same way. It's just a fact. You believe it. It's not an experience, not lighting candles or anything else like that. It's just believing what God says about his son. But then I think of this. I, I believe that if we're going to stay true to the gospel, we stay preaching and proclaiming that simple message of the cross. But also this. When I look at this, it means that we need to stay true to also the um, we need to be true to the principles and practices of the gospel. Do you notice, even if I just took out all the epistles, we only just stuck with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the words that we have with Christ, was the gospel only for salvation? In the sense that we get saved, but did not Christ give us a whole bunch of instructions to how to live a life after we're saved? The gospel is a practice in our lives that these things in our life, if we're going to be true to the gospel, not true to ourselves, not true to how we feel and what feels right to us, that we are true to the principles and the, and the teachings. Like I was telling pastor, I just think of the gospel and even the Sermon on the Mount that Christ taught. That was his first lesson that he taught to his disciples. And he talked about things about being morally pure in your lives, not dealing with lust. Dealing with fidelity and marriage and having a pure marriage. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Desiring righteousness. Not serving mammon and things, but serving, putting first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not, not worried about whether I can buy this or buy that, but what can I give in return? That when someone wrongs me, no matter how awful the wrong is, that I will forgive them and I will never hold it against them. And if I have a problem with anybody, I just go make it right, right away. And do and try to resolve it. If I have a problem with somebody, I'm not posting it on Facebook. I'm not posting it on Instagram or any other social platform. I am going to follow what Jesus says in Matthew chapter number 18. I mean, I can go through this whole thing. About how you pray. That you don't pray to be seen of men or to make a show of it. How you give, that you don't give to be a show to other people. How you fast, religious exercise, not to be as a hypocrite, but in sincerity and truth. I mean, the, 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 the gospel is demanding. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you better consider the cost. Which man goeth out of the war and doesn't consider how much it's going to cost to fight? Whether he has enough men to, to, to take on the other enemy. You see what I mean? If we're going to live, if we're going to be true to the gospel, you have to be true to living out the principles that are taught in, in the gospel. Do you understand? We have to be true to living out those principles in gospel. And then I was thinking about this. So let's say I have an area in my life. I can identify this. So you know what? That's not matching up with what God wants me to do in my life. That's not living according to the gospel that I received, okay? It's just a little area. Have you guys ever made bread before? Have you ever seen the size of a little piece of yeast? It's not very big. And I'm wondering, the reason why we don't have the power in our lives is because we allow these little pieces of yeast and it grows in my marriage. It grows, it grows in my relationship with others. It grows with people around me in church. It grows at the workplace. It grows in the world around me. Because you may say, well, I, I don't reject Christ outright. But you're practicing a different Jesus than the one that he taught you. When you find a way that you can say, my lifestyle is okay, you are living by another Jesus. When you can condone sin in your life, you are living by another Jesus. When you say, I, I, you know what, it's okay for me to take that second look. You are not, that's not the Jesus of the Gospels. And that little piece of leaven, it only takes a little bit. Because did not Paul say that a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. And you wonder why maybe that God's not working at in your life. It's because you've let the proof box go on overdrive at your house or in your life. And it's just growing like leaps and bounds. And now you wonder why you have a mess. As I think about it, I, I think about a time when I was working um, 
at a school in, in North Dakota. I was at home for the summer. And uh, I knew they needed to have these freezers replaced because this door wasn't sticking. And uh, the door broke, op came open. So the freezer stopped, and I had all this dough that was in there. And it grew into this monster. And they took pictures of it, and they sent it to me. I wish I had it. I would have put it up here. But really, as I'm thinking about it, that's really what happens when we start, when we are practicing and living another gospel. It just grows into this mutated mutated mess so as I think when I think about this and as I was meditating upon this portion of scripture the the hymn the old rugged cross came came to my mind as I was thinking about this and that fourth stanza in the, the old rugged cross begins with to the old rugged cross I will ever be true you ever just I know pastor says it but I think about it too when I'm when I'm singing songs you ever think about what you're singing the old rugged cross the gospel I will ever be true it's shame and reproach I'll gladly bear tell my trophies at last I lay down you know what I'm going to be true to the old rugged cross the parable of the hid leaven it's not good but what you do with it can be good you can use it today if you're not saved to come, come here and someone will show you from the Bible or find somebody after church. Uh, you know, you don't have to come forward and, and, and to do it, but I'm going to tell you this, but you do need to get saved. And you do need to make that choice in, in, in your life. I, I mean, I don't care if it's out, out in the trees, but did you get saved? Do you know the gospel? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Well, if not, if you don't know for sure, now I'm going to tell you this, there's a true gospel waiting for you. All you got to do is believe in it. And you and I that are saved in here today, we have to ask ourselves, am I staying true to the gospel that was once delivered unto me? Am I staying true to what the gospel that Jesus taught? Or am I working as an a corrupting element of those around me? And I will say, if you say, you know what, it's not so good. There's corruption going on. Like the Paul said, purge out therefore purge out it's time to do some cleaning just like the Israelites did on the day of unleavened bread they would search their whole house for leaven it may be that cabinet you've been locking for a long time needs to be opened up and it's time you purge some leaven out of your life and say you know what I am going to be more true to the gospel than I've ever had before in my life all right let's go ahead and stand we're going to have a time of invitation here Lord, I just thank you for the chance to look at your word today. And I hope and pray, God, that, it, that the truth of your Bible was, was clear enough to be understood and how it, how it fits here, God. And I just want to pray today, if there's somebody that's not saved, God, that the gospel is still true and powerful and it will save them today if they want to be saved. And God, us who know 100% sure we're, we're saved, we're on our way to heaven, God, I would just pray, God, if we're not being true to the gospel or if we're allowing little seeds of leaven to remain in our lives, God, that we would just deal with those. So, God, that we can, God, just be that witness and to show that power of the gospel in our lives. God, I just pray now that you'll work in this invitation and I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.